listening to another Hopefield message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I've had this stirring in my heart and my spirit all this week, you know, especially from Pastor Craig's message last uh, Sunday morning that was all about, you know, revival starting on the inside of us. And then revival last Sunday night where we had our revival night and to look at what God did, to look across the room, every hand pretty much just raised, abandoned to God in worship and the miracles that took place, the testimonies we're hearing back of healings that took place and amazing things and just incredible to see what God is doing. And I've just got this burning sense in my spirit that we're in a season where God wants to awaken passion afresh. You know, we're in this revival season where God just wants to breathe His Holy Spirit in our lives and bring a, bring a fresh passion to who we are and what we do. Because who knows, we serve a God that's all about a relationship, not about religion. He's not about us just turning up because we, that's what's expected of us to tick a box. But there's something on the inside of us He wants to bring alive again. And, and I love that about our God. And, you know, I was looking this week, I was reading... Um, God's generals and all about how revivals started. And I love that all great revivals are marked by people passionately pursuing God, passionately abandoned to their God. And I love what it says in Matthew 11 verse 12. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, from the moment John the Baptist stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth and passionate people have taken hold of its power. I love that passionate people have taken a hold of the kingdom of God. And when you look at revivals, that's what it's all about. Passionate people coming alive in God's power. You know, I was looking this week, John Dowie, um, all these incredible revivalists. He sold all his home, all his furnishings just to hold more meetings in a hall for revival to begin. Maria Etta, who was known as a healing evangelist, she would whack people with the Bible who she was praying for to be healed, whack them where they were had their ailment. She'd just get that Bible out and flip and whack them. Like imagine if we did that in church today, Craig and I just walking around whacking people with the Bible. It would not be PC today. But she did that and saw incredible miracles take place. In fact, one boy that she prayed with that had a tumour hanging out his neck, she whacked him with the Bible. Man, what a great form of discipline, eh? Like just, you know, if your kids were ever rowdy, just whacking them with the Bible. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. But so she whacks this young boy with this uh, tumour with the Bible. He's instantly healed. And then he later goes on to become a famous evangelist himself. Uh, it's amazing. Evan Roberts. As a young boy, he was never seen without his Bible. Come on, people that are passionate. Charles Barham was known to preach to the cows before he was released in ministry. Come on, that's passionate. Like, I've got to get it out somehow. So if I can't preach on a pulpit, I'm going to preach to the cows. I love that. William Seymour, who's all about the Holy Spirit revival, they would pray all night. Sometimes services ran for 10 to 12 hours. Come on, we sit through our hour 10 services. But they would run for 10 to 12 hours. Sometimes they went for several days and nights. I love that, passionate. 
Um, John G. Lake, who was a healing evangelist, he brought in scientists one day when he was uh, healing someone. Listen to what he says. Gentlemen, I want you to see one thing. Go down to your hospital. Bring back a man who has inflammation in the bone. Take your instrument and attach it to his leg. Leave enough space to get my hand on his leg. You would attach it to both sides. When the instrument was ready, I put my hand on the man's shin and prayed. No strange prayer, but the cry of my heart to God. I said, God, kill this disease. Let your spirit move in him and let him live. And then I asked, gentlemen, he said to the scientists, what is taking place? And they replied, every cell, they were looking through a microscope, every cell is responding to the prayer. In just a few minutes, a man jumped off the table, completely healed. Well, how awesome is that? But how passionate. Come on, bring the scientists in. Let the scientists see how God is moving here. Smith Wiggleworth. Man, he would tell lame people to run. In the middle of a meeting, if someone was lame, he'd be like, run. And they would say back to him, I can't run. And he'd be like, don't talk back to me. And he would physically grab them and run with them until God healed them. Like, that's passion. You know, in our lives today, we get so PC and so confined, but God is looking for a passionate people to arise Come on, are we? Is there something burning on the inside of us that's alive with God's passion? Because come on, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just do church. I don't want to just live my Christianity and get to heaven. Come on, I want to know that I gave God everything. Come on, that we saw a church here in North Melbourne that impacted a city. Come on, that reached a nation, that saw friends around us saved, that for our, saw our family members saved. Come on, there's something that is living on the inside of us that is from heaven that we have to reach people. Come on, I pray that we're stirred afresh today about the fire that's on the inside of us and how we're called to make a difference. You know, the story of Mary and Martha, Craig mentioned it last week, is an incredible illustration of what can happen to our passion. And uh, Craig uh, referred to it in Luke 10, and we're going to turn there in our Bibles today, if you've got your Bibles, and Luke 10, verse 38 to 40. And uh, as they continued their travel, it says, Jesus entered the village, and a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel at home. She brought him into her home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them, and she said, Master, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Mary, sorry, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Only one thing is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it will not be taken from her. Now, isn't it amazing that Martha was the one that welcomed Jesus into her home? Yet she ended up being the one that was distracted by all the things that had to be done. See, we have an incredible Savior, and like that story illustrates, where He wants our posture to be one where we are at the feet of our Master. Will we find ourselves located in His presence, just loving Him, abandoned to Him so passionately, pursuing Him, alive with His Word, alive with His presence at His feet, like Mary was just dwelling in His presence, loving Him. But it is so easy in the lives that we live today to become Martha, where we get out from that place, that position of being in the feet of Jesus, 
to being busy by life and all of a sudden Jesus isn't at the centre of our world anymore. He's in the orbit of our world. And Mary got to this place where Jesus was there in her home. He was there in her world, but he was in the orbit of her world, not the centre of it. And the challenge I want to bring to us today, and I bring it to myself just as much as well, is Jesus fully at the centre of our world or is he just in the orbit of our lives? Is he just in the orbit of what we do? Because see, when he's in the orbit of what we do, we're just busy doing our life, consumed by all the things that are happening around us. And we go to him when there's an urgent need, like, God, I need help. Like, why is Mary not helping me? We go to him when the need is there. But then we quickly slip back into the pattern of doing, 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 doing. And we miss being centred, having him as the centre of our lives. He just becomes part of our world. And I really want us to challenge us about where we have positioned Jesus in our lives today. Where have we positioned him? Is he at the centre or have we just positioned him in the orbit of our lives? See, I find what life does to us is it it puts boundaries around our passion when it comes to God. And when we watch League with our son, I love watching League with him. There are boundaries that are put around the field to keep parents at bay. But it wasn't once like that. I remember my games as a girl, I loved netball. I played a lot of netball. And I remember my dad is incredibly passionate and he would come to all our games. He would come to all my brother's games too when they played rugby. And my dad was so passionate. He wouldn't just be on the sidelines. He would be on the field and on the court. And he would have this chopped off finger from a farm accident. So he had this little stubby finger and he would have his stub finger out. And he would be telling the ref what was going wrong. He would be cheering us till his face was red. Blooded veins were poking out of his neck. I mean, if like, if anybody raised a finger against his sons in rugby, he would be telling them, Oi, Sonny, if you raise another hand against my son, I know where you live. I'll find out where you live and I'll be chasing you down. I mean, he was that dad on the court. He would be thrown off by the umpires and the refs. So I now understand why those ropes need to be around the field. They were brought in by people like my dad. But it's amazing when we go and watch Zion now, I'm so passionate about watching my boy wanting to cheer him on. But there's these boundaries that have been put around these the field. And what I find happens in life is the same when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, is that life causes boundaries to go up around our passion for God. See, Jesus, He's here, He's at the centre of our lives, but things just happen in life to get boundaries put up around our relationship with Him. Maybe it's a boundary of distraction. We just live so distracted by everything else that needs to be done. You know, time is never the issue. We all have the same amount of hours in a day. It's about what we prioritise and what we value. And if we say, man, we're too busy to really have time with God and, you know, invest time with Him, too busy for church, all that stuff, it's a matter of priority and it's a matter of value. And it can be so easy, and I'm so speaking to myself here as well, it can be so easy to get so consumed by other things that we put a boundary around our passion for Jesus. That boundary of distraction where all these other things become way more important 
than what actually really matters in life. You know, when we get to heaven, are we going to look back and go, man, I'm so stoked. I spent that much time organizing things and meeting work deadlines and making sure I ticked the boxes that I needed to take. Come on, are we going to get to heaven? No, man, I gave everything to my relationship with God. Come on, what truly matters, and this boundary of distraction is so massive in our society that we live in today. Come on, we live so distracted by our phones. Demands are with us constantly. There's such a high level of expectation that we're meant to live at, and it causes us to miss, like Jesus said to Martha, we miss the main thing. Come on, we miss the main course. Come on, this weekend I've been organizing two of my kids' parties, and then the franticness and the craziness of organizing everything, you can miss the main thing, which is celebrating them. When we do it all the time in life, we get so busy stressing and distracted that we miss the main thing. Are we missing the main thing in life, guys? The main thing in our lives is our relationship with Him. It's what's eternal. It's what it's the only thing that's going to last. Are we prioritizing it for what it really, how it really needs to be prioritized? I think the other boundary that can come around our passion for Jesus is the boundary of our own pleasure, enjoying this life. You see it all the time with people that come in and meet God for the first time and Jesus comes in and radically turns their life around and they're set free and they're ministered to and they discover God's love. And then the thing is, they don't need God as much really anymore. And the things of life all of a sudden just become so much more tempting. And that boundary of our own pleasure ends up again holding us back and putting a boundary around our passion for Jesus. Come on, is our own pleasure and our own self-seeking causing there to be a boundary when it comes to our passion for Jesus? And I want us to do some self-examination today because I know I'm doing it too. How much other stuff are we allowing us just again for Jesus to be in the orbit of our world rather than truly allowing Him to be centre of, of, of our lives? And I think the other thing that causes a boundary to come into our lives is disappointment. You know, again, we start so in love with Jesus so passionate about Him. But then disappointments happen. The miracle doesn't happen like we want it to happen. Life throws stuff at us. Someone doesn't get saved like we want them to get saved. And disappointment becomes this boundary again. And we have all these boundaries where we once were at the feet of Jesus. Now we just live in the orbit of Him because all these boundaries are up that we've allowed to come up in our lives. And I want us to look at it and go, you know what? This is never how Jesus intended us to interact with Him that we were just in the orbit of His world rather than being at the centre of us. See, He came and He died on the cross that all boundaries would be cut. Come on, the curtain was torn so there'd be no uh, barrier between us and Him any longer. He wants us to remove these boundaries. Come on, to take them off so we can have complete access to who He is, complete freedom to pursue Him. Come on, in every area of our lives, we're coming back. We keep locating ourselves at the feet of Jesus. We keep crying out to Him. Every interaction in our life it's all about Him. See, I love what Scripture says. This is how we are called to live our lives. It says in Matthew 22, Jesus answered him, how do I live my life? Pretty much he's asking, he says, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. Come on, that's passionate. I love that. 
Uh, Luke 12, verse 49, Jesus is again speaking. He says, I've come to set the earth on fire and how I long for every heart to already be ablaze with this fiery passion from God. Man, I love it. He wants us passionate. We can hear a message like this and just think, well, man, I'm so far from it. But man, it is awesome to have that standard that we can go for. Come on, well, we're thinking every ounce of our being, every time of our day, how can I include Jesus in the mix of this? How can I pursue Him more? How can I wrestle with Him more? How can I long for Him more? Come on, how can I light that fire afresh? And that's what I want to just very quickly this morning before we have some great worship time and we awaken passion again. I just want to look at this whole thing of awakening passion. How do we bring the passion alive again like God has called us to live, fiery, passionate, just in love with Him? How do we do that? The first thing is we've got to add fuel to the fire. Add fuel to the fire. We cannot conjure up passion by striving more, by trying harder, by trying to pursue Him more, by trying to be more disciplined, All those things are great, but passion comes from within. It is a desire. It's something that we shouldn't be able to stop. It's something that comes from deep within us. Come on, it's a spirit thing. It's this thing that uh, we actually need to grow on the inside of us. And how do we do that? See, the amazing thing is fire never grows because it tries harder. It strives more. Fire grows because more fuel is added to it. And in the same way, our passion doesn't grow because we try harder, we make more of an effort. It comes because we add more fuel to it. And the fuel for our passion is His love for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, for it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us. Fuel for our passion is His love for us. Come on, do we walk with that revelation of how much He loves us? Are we creating room to know how loved we are? Because when we do that, come on, we can't help but spend time in His presence because we're just so in love with Him. Come on, we love because He first loved us. For that passion to come alive, we've got to create room for Him to love us. Now you think of when it comes to a marriage. You know, I love when Craig and I first got to know each other. We would spend hours together. That first love. Like we would talk till five in the morning together. Oh, we stayed in a Christian hostel together and I would get up in the early hours of the morning when he was heading to uni. I didn't start till like two o'clock, but I'd still get up, excuse me, at the same time, oopsie daisy, same time as him. And I would uh, do everything to be at the kitchen. And this wasn't planned because we weren't together then. I would just deliberately try and make it work. And I'd be in the same, the kitchen the same time as him. And I would be like, well, I need to go to uni now. We'd go to uni together. And he would skate. And then he would put me on the skateboard as well. And he'd hold my wrist because we weren't at the holding hands stage. And we would, I know, I know. And we would skate into uni together. And then I would go to the library and sleep for the rest of the day. 
I remember getting on the same dishes duty team as him just because I wanted to hang out with him more, just doing everything possible to hang out, to spend time with him. I went to America with him, snowboarding. I kind of love snowboarding, but I really went just to hang out with him. Like whatever I could do, I did to hang out with him. That first love, you know, we're just so in, infatuated with the other person. But who knows as life goes on, as things come into your world, as you get responsibilities, as you lead a church, as there are bulls to pay, as kids flip and come into the mix, who knows that there are so many other things that demand your attention. And to keep that first love alive, we have to carve out time. Come on, we have to deliberately invest into our relationship to keep that first love alive because I want us not to just be flatmates in a marriage where we're just doing the job but not in love with each other. Come on, we're called marriage. We're called to be in love with each other and we fuel that fire by putting time, investing time into our relationship. Every relationship needs time investment. Time and passion are so interrelated. Where we spend our time reflects our passion, but also where we spend our time feeds our passion. Come on, you look at it with Netflix series or TV series, and you kind of start out interested in something, so you kind of start watching it a little bit. And the more you watch it, the more passionate you get about it. And then the more you, more passionate you get about it, the more you watch it. It just feeds each other. And then you realise you've just spent hours watching somebody else live their lives. And then you're late for school pickup. And the only excuse you've got is, I was just watching Heartland and got consumed. So I'm not speaking by personal experience whatsoever. <sighs> But this whole thing of time and passion, they go, they're so interrelated. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, if things feel stale, if things feel dry, how much time are we investing? How much time are we setting aside to be in worship, to be in His presence, just to have a revelation of how much He loves us? Because time and passion go hand in hand. You think about it. Somebody that you kind of just know as an acquaintance and you kind of see them and hang out with them, you quickly run out of things to say. But somebody that you're doing life with all the time, it seems like there's always something to say because you're doing life so interrelated, so connected. When it comes to God, if we struggle to talk to Him, we struggle to pray. It's just probably because we're not hanging out with Him enough. Come on, He's kind of like an acquaintance rather than a personal friend. Because when we're personally doing life with Him, there's always something to talk to Him about because we're just doing, we're hanging out with each other. I mean, how much time are we investing? And in? the cool thing about the legacy season that we're entering into is we're going to have, like Pastor Craig said, those three days set aside for prayer and fasting. And that's the essence of prayer and fasting. It's setting aside, putting aside distraction, putting aside the normal routines of life and pursuing Him saying, God, I'm carving out this time to just allow that passion to be ignited afresh. Come on, would we do that? Would we set aside more time to truly be in His presence in a greater way? Is this making sense? The second thing is we've got to match passion to our obedience. Match passion to our obedience. You know, there's a scripture in Revelation 2 where God is speaking to the churches and one church in particular, he says, man, you're doing all the right things, but you've lost your first love. 
We can be doing all the right things, but if we haven't got passion with it, come on, God's like, come on, what are you doing? Come on, our heart has got to be invested in what we do. When it comes to what God has asked us of, come on, let's step up into it with passion. Let's step up having a conviction about what He's called us to, not doing it out of obligation and a have to, but stepping up, matching passion to our obedience. You know, this week we're having dinner together as a family and we're asking the kids about their day and Hope, our little seven-year-old daughter, pipes up and she's like, Zion looked after me today. And Zion, our 10-year-old son, uh, Craig's been talking to him a lot about protecting his sister and, you know, that right of manhood, like, you know, you look after your sister. And, and so, and Zion kind of, as Hope says that, Zion sits in his seat and he kind of starts to uh, broaden his chest and his little shoulders go out. And we're like, buddy, what happened? He's like, well, his voice kind of deepens and he's like, well, you know, these kids were in the playground and Hope came up to me and they stole her teddy. And so I, I went over to these group of grade two boys and I was like, boys, what are you doing? That's exactly how we said it too. Boys, what are you doing with my sister's teddy? And these little grade twos had the teddy behind their backs and they were like, nothing. And so I was like, right, I'm going to give you to the town of, town of 10 to give the teddy back. Are we clear? And the boy's like, okay. And he's like, one, two, three, four. It got to four and they gave the teddy back. And so Zai's like telling this story to us and he's like so proud of himself. Uh, Craig's so proud because his son is like looking after his girl. And I'm so proud because he used the counting method. Like, that came from me. Like he didn't engage in physical combat. He did the good method, you know, the good way of having conflict. And I'm so proud of him. And But there was just this awesome sense of like, I stepped up to this to the plate from our son. And I, I reckon God loves it when we respond to him like that too. This sense of he's asking us to step up and I'm going to do it with passion. If I'm going to step up, I'm going to step up with passion. I'm not going to do out of this obligated obedience. I'm going to do it with passion. See, I love what Proverbs 3 verse 12 says. For the father's discipline comes only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Even when it seems like his correction is harsh, it's still better than any father on earth gives his child. How incredible is that? Everything God asks of us is for our betterment. Let's respond in that way, passionately living in obedience to Him. The third thing, if I can have the team join me, please, is we've got to have revelation reminders. Revelation reminders. I still remember when Zion, almost 10-year-old now, son was born. I remember picking him up from the hospital and a few days later driving with him myself and putting him in his little car bassinet and then getting in the car and driving. And I remember going like 80 kilometers per hour on the motorway, on the freeway. And if you know me, that's not me at all. I love my speed. And we're on the freeway at like 80 kilometers to an hour. And I just had this revelation alive that there was this little life in my car, like this precious little life. And I'm, I remember looking at the rest of the traffic and thinking, you guys are idiots. Like there's a life in this car. Look at how fast you are going. Look at how crazy you're driving. This is a human life that's in this car. 
And this revelation was so alive. I remember driving 80 kilometres the entire way, driving so safe. But who knows, a week later, running late for something, you're switching lanes, you're speeding up to get to the orange light in time. Like that revelation goes so quickly. We live so forgetful. God knew it in His Word about 200 times. He says, remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember who I am. So I said to the Israelites, build monuments in remembrance of what I've done. And remember me. Come on, we've got to bring revelation alive again. Come on, that first love. First love revelation. When we first met Him, we first discovered the freedom that He'd given us, the love that He'd given us. And we've got to bring those revelations alive. I still remember as a little 11-year-old girl, all I'd known about God was from what I'd heard from my parents in church. And I got to this place where I'm like, well, God, if You're real, I need to know You for myself. I need to personally have a revelation of who You are. And I remember as this little 11-year-old locking myself in my bedroom for three Sunday afternoons in a row. I'm like, God, I wanna know You. I wanna meet You. And the first Sunday afternoon, I remember reading my Bible for like a full hour and having worship music on and I just felt nothing. I'm like, okay, God, this isn't looking that good for You. And the second week, it was the same thing. Third Sunday afternoon, I remember being on the edge of my bed and being on my knees and this presence filling my room. And I remember just weeping in God's presence, weeping with this, the purity of this love that I was experiencing. I had never encountered a love like it, never known a love like it. And just as this little 11 year old girl just being so passionately in love with Jesus. You know what? I have to often keep coming back to that revelation of just how much He loves us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.